Welcome to the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, joined as always by my co-hosts, Lando and Matt, as well as our tech producer, Keys. This week, we talk nothing but college football with a dab of NASCAR. We talk week three games and where we see teams going for the rest of the season. We have a good list of mailbag questions sent in from you guys, and we end the show with our world-class picks of the week that will win you money 100% guaranteed. Hope y'all enjoy. I could tell that she was um ah one of these big words. I can tell that she was perturbed about my 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 joke. Perturbed. Which girl was this? Oh, you 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 didn't you didn't see? So all right, so there's this guy. Yeah, you, you don't know you don't remember who he is. His name's Stanley. He, he he follows this girl. She she tweets out, "I could never put my mom's m o m s in a nursing home." Y'all wild with that one. So I quoted the tweet because. I was just I just wanted to be funny. I said, I couldn't imagine the cost of putting more than one mom in a nursing home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was funny. So she comes back and says, you being sarcastic because I made moms plural. And I put, (laughs) yes, I thought of it more as a joke than sarcasm, though. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't I don't know. Listen, I have have an issue with. People adding the extra S onto things where it doesn't need to be be an S. So, So, like... Like some some folks will be like, "Oh, I'm going to Penny's," when they're really saying, "I'm going to J.C. Penny." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they'll, or they'll say, "Moms, hey, yeah. man, man, get away from my moms, man. That's my moms." Your mom's what? Yeah, just, just like in uh, <laughs> what's what's uh, in that show, All American. They do it a lot. Oh in my that god! Show. Did like, you like did you like the post I made today? Spencer James, yeah. is he overrated or not? <laughs> you can't cancel me. They may try, but you can't. <laughs> You will try. You will try. try. Oh, they will try. That's why. That's exactly why I couldn't work for ESPN because, like, somebody asked me. I, I think it was you, Wit. You were like, if if a sports center came to you and said, "We'll pay you all this money, but we're gonna censor you. You can only say what we want you to say." I would turn them down because because I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to enjoy my job if somebody could tell me what I can and can't say. Yeah, if you're being censored, it's not really worth it because then it's not you. Exactly. It's them. You're just the uh, face. See, for me, if ESPN is going to offer me like a, a lot of money to come work for them, and they're going to censor me, I probably would do it for a couple of years. But then I take the money, I save it all, and I'd be like, "All right, now I'm going to go do my own thing and and be my own person." See, that's how Skip Bayless was born. Like Skip Bayless literally is he all those terrible takes that he has; those aren't his takes. It's he was getting paid by ESPN to do it, and then Fox said, "Hey, you well, want to come have really bad?" Like, hey, yeah, but I mean, like, Skip Bayless specifically, because he was like a Tim Tebow defender of like, he's so good, he's gonna, he's gonna win a Super Bowl. You watch. Yes, yeah, the same way. Um, that's how uh, Max Kellerman was when he was on first take. I know good and damn well his takes weren't that crappy. Like, so, so somebody, somebody had to be saying, all right, you have to, you have to disagree with Stephen A. on this. Just, just, just make, make up something, and and make it sound good. I couldn't do that. I personally could not do it. I fully believe that everybody on ESPN, besides college football analysts, everything's scripted. I don't even think they actually watch sports. I mean, you, you'll you listen to First Take or one of those like NBA shows or something, and half of what they say, like some of the players they're talking about aren't even like in the league anymore, or they're like on different teams. Well, they're like, do my, you even watch the sport? 
my thing is is so, sometimes they just talk about the same thing every day. Like like for the past four weeks they on Get Up, they've been talking about can Baker Mayfield get it done? Da-da-da-da-da. I'm just like, God, you got you guys are beating a dead horse at this point. I'm I'm tired I'm getting tired of, of watching this every morning. That's why shows like Get Up and and Sports Center and First Take and Shannon and Skip like Skip they Shannon. were entertaining whenever I was in high school. Mainly because it was like, oh, I'm missing a day of school and I get to watch ESPN all day. But I've realized that like now that I'm older, they're terrible. And I'll give Stephen A. Smith credit. Like every now and then, Stephen A. Smith has a good take. But I think he's being fed them, and he's a good personality. And so it's like somebody that ESPN feels like they can put their money behind, and they're gonna put him through the moon. And but but aside from that, like Mike Greenberg, terrible. What? Mike was you don't. A phenom- you you you, you I, don't like Mike Greenberg. I don't like Greeny. Why? Nah, I like man. Greeny. Greeny sucks, man. Why? I don't think he's. I don't think he knows sports, but I think he's a good like. He's a good TV personality. I like Greenberg. I liked Mike and Mike because I felt like they balanced each other out enough. Like whenever Mike Greenberg would say something stupid, Mike Golick would kind of rein him back in, and they could have like good takes, and it was like good banter. Now with Mike Greenberg on Get Up, it sucks. I I cannot what? stand Mike Greenberg, dude. I I cannot stand Greeny. Mike Greenberg is awesome. Like I honestly, honestly, when he's not the host of Get Up in the Morning, then then I won't watch Get Up at all. I I watch it because Greenberg's on there and he kind of you know facilitates everything and and it's it's fun to watch. Honestly, I don't even watch Get Up anyway. I watch Good Morning Football more than anything. And on uh, the morning shows, NFL Network takes the cake on that one, man. Like K phenomenal phenomenal cast all the way around. K Adams is great. Peter Schrager's great. Uh, Kyle, I forget his last name. He's great. I miss Nate Burleson. Like Nate Burleson was awesome on that show. Uh, now that he's gone, they've yeah, he's been on, having um, different guests in CBS. there, like Chris. Car- Chris Carter was awesome uh, when they had him on the last week. Uh, Mike Robinson's been on there. He was awesome. So I, I enjoy Good Morning Football. All right. Well, Matt, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start this out with with a bang. I want to get your take on the race on Saturday. I, I know you're I know you're you're a Chase Elliott fan, so I, I need I need your honest opinion on this. My honest opinion is is that I didn't even really watch the race because I was watching college football. Um, I, I I had the race on the radio in the garage, and I had a TV in the garage, and I was watching the Penn State-Auburn game. Then I flipped over to – I was watching the Ole Miss-Tulane game, flipped over the race for the last lap. So I saw all the fireworks, and I really didn't know what happened. So obviously I did some digging. In ways, I get that Chase Elliott was pissed off about something that happened at Darlington, and it's kind of carried over. But you can't run that line at Bristol and expect someone not to cut you off. Like it's and Chase Elliott was bringing frustration from another track and trying to do the same thing at Bristol, and you just can't compare the two. And I don't think Kevin Harvick did anything wrong this week. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't watch it in real time to to see exactly what happened. I just know Chase was PO'd because apparently Harvick. Didn't get let him run his line and he cut a tire or something like that. And all right, so fair enough, fair enough. The what happened was is that there were three wide going into turn one. All right, so Harvick was on the very bottom. There's a lap car. Elliott tries to go in between them, and he makes that move halfway down down the front stretch. So he kind of crowds Harvick down on that bottom line, and Harvick pushes up the track and gets gets tight. And, and gets into Elliot. So it it was it was really a racing thing. So the fact that Elliot got mad 
and and thought Harvick doored him is just mind blowing to me. It's absolutely mind blowing, and it, it it just it just adds on to the fact of how much I don't like Chase Elliott because I feel like just in the past couple years, I feel like. He thinks everything should go his way. Everything should be handed to him. Oh, oh, I'm, uh, Chase Elliott, I should just let him go. I should let him win this race. And then the dude comes back on the track and basically gets in front of Harvick and just sits there and, and allows Larson to, to to close six car lengths and, and win the race. So, you know, I guess it, at this point it is what it is. Harvick finished second. Elliott finished 25th or whatever. So at the end of the day, my driver finished better. So whatever. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't watch it to see it happen live. I just went back and from the interviews, it seemed like chase was pissed off about something that happened at Darlington and brought it over. And the same sort of incident happened at Bristol, but two different tracks. I, I got to yeah. say, like, honestly, it, you can't run that line at Bristol and expect someone to just get out of your way. Like Bristol is a, a tight track. You're trying to run three wide and a turn one at Bristol. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. And so I, I understand his frustration maybe at Darlington, but not so much Bristol and Harvick. I understand why he's ticked off uh, because of because of what happened at, at Bristol, and it cost him a win. Which, I mean, he advanced to the next round anyway. But but still, that's that's extra points to help to get that playoff four. Yeah, a championship four. Yeah. Well, enough about NASCAR. What you guys think of this weekend's game slate? Thought it was pretty good. I thought it was it was really good. Um, the seven o'clock game, the Auburn Penn State game, had a lot of fireworks. Obviously, uh, I've got a lot to say about Alabama. Um, they they kind of proved exactly what I thought they were going to be this year in that Florida game. In a lot of ways, I'm not pressing the panic button, uh, but a lot to take, talk about there. And Oklahoma Nebraska was way better of a noon game than it ever should have been. Ha! Cincinnati Indiana was a was a was a really good game to watch. So uh, I, I enjoyed the slate this weekend. I thought it was great. Yeah, I did too. We actually ended up having a lot more good games than I thought there would be, even though the slate was actually pretty solid. Um, I was surprised by a lot of the playoff contenders that we thought coming to the season, uh, like teams like Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. They struggled against a team that they really should have beaten the crap out of. Matt, you said something about a panic button. Well, I'm pressing the panic button on something. It's Spencer Rattler. I'm done with it. I'm over it. It's time for him to go ahead and ride the bench because I just can't take it anymore. It's it's a weekly thing. You guys said that that noon game was a lot better than it should have been, and I said the same. I, I said it last week. That if we don't blow them out by fifty five, I'm going to be very upset. We ended up winning that game. I don't know by by less than a than a touchdown. Spencer Rattler was a sole catalyst for that. Defense played outstanding. You can, you know, it. I know Nebraska sucks, but. At the end, of, at the end of the day, they're a, they're a Big Ten football team. They're going to score some points regardless of, of who they're playing. And defense did what they were supposed to do, and Spencer Rattler did not. And he's holding our, the the Oklahoma offense back from its full potential. And if I see him throw another ball into triple coverage one more time, I swear I'm going to jump through the TV and slap the taste out of his mouth. I feel like Oklahoma is a great place to start for us to go through this past weekend because I. I, I I didn't even watch that game because I I just assumed it, because in past years when Oklahoma was supposed to blow somebody out they typically did um oh, yeah. you know uh this is what I, that's what I thought that was going to be I was more focused on Cincinnati Indiana because I thought that was the most compelling new matchup and I ended up finding myself having to flip back and forth for a while because those were way too close of games to to choose one and sit with it um 
I do not see where all the preseason hype for Spencer Rattler was, especially coming off of last year where I thought he was good, not great. Um, I, is it Lincoln Riley? Is that is that where all this is coming from uh, because of the, the quarterback success of Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts? Yes, that's where it's coming from, and it's it's starting to disappoint me that Lincoln Riley can't see that Spencer Rattler is none of those guys. He is he is he is talent wise he is nowhere near the level of those guys. So something something has to change. See, I don't think that's entirely true. I think Spencer Rattler has the talent. I think it's just in between the ears. He just doesn't have that like extra extra mental factor. I mean, it's, I think it's the same with C.J. Stroud too. Both of those guys are probably top five in talent for starting QBs in all of college football. It's just the fact that they can't, they don't read the coverages right. They throw balls into bad situations. They miss open receivers in, in very, very serious situations, like really important third down conversions. It's, it's if, if, they, if they could get it mentally, I think they would be all right, especially Oklahoma with all their weapons on offense. But uh, he well, just doesn't seem like he has it. Well, wait, here's where I'm going to, going to kind of, destroy your comparison from cj stroud and spencer rattler spencer rattler played all game all the games last year this is cj yeah. stroud's first year starting quarterback at ohio state so of course he's going to look not like a uh, an elite quarterback he's going to misread he's going to you know not not look as good as he should he's, it's going to take time for him spencer rattler has no excuse he's this is this is his third year in lincoln riley's system he sat behind jalen hurts then he started all last year, and now he's starting this year. What's his excuse? Why are we still throwing into, into triple coverage? Why are we making these bad decisions? Why are we overthrowing receivers? We have all this talent on the outside for the first time in a long time that we have more than one guy on, on the outside, and he's and he's just missing them. He's making horrible decisions. I mean, uh, the, I guess the bright spot is, is if you're Oklahoma, is your defense is playing really well right now. Um, so you've got that going for you. It, it just It's so weird to me that coming into this year, Oklahoma, in, in my opinion, was a uh, one of the top two national championship contenders across the board. I mean, you, 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 I had them in my national championship, and I didn't see the offense being the problem. I saw, thought if anything overperformed last year and would be underwhelming this year, it would be the defense uh, because of what you just said with, with Spencer Rattler. He was in that system for – this is his third year now, and last year was like – his pass year, like okay, you get a pass because you're you haven't had seen game action against real defenses that are that are playing at game speed outside of your own practice squad. Now mm-hmm. it's like, all right, man, like you're starting to worry me a little bit because Nebraska, while yeah, they're a Big Ten team. I mean, they're if they had any semblance of a little bit better of an offense, huh. that game could have been even more worrisome for you because I feel like that's where Nebraska has struggled this year is is on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, so I, I I don't know. I'm I am not. I wouldn't hit the panic button completely on Oklahoma yet, but I would definitely the uh, the caution flag is out there for them for sure. Yeah, people are gonna are gonna keep asking me the question: Is Oklahoma overrated? Yes, yes, we are overrated. We're overrated until we can get somebody in there at quarterback that can run the offense at a, at a, at an efficient pace. So that way we're not stalling out and keeping the defense on the field for, for the entire game. So just lots of things to figure out. West Virginia is, is honestly kind of terrifying. I'm a, I'm a little afraid of this game this weekend. Yeah, West Virginia actually looked pretty good um, at home against Virginia Tech last week. That's why I'm kind of circling that game too, Lando. Um I think the good thing for Oklahoma is they're 3-0 and for the first three weeks of the season, even though the games have been close and they haven't looked good. 
there's other teams like Ohio State, Clemson, and yeah. now Florida too, who they haven't looked great. If Florida looked better against Alabama, but they have a loss. So they still have to go the whole rest of the season without losing a single other game. And I think with just the way that everybody in college football is so close together this year, it's being 3-0 right now is huge. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is huge. And with, like you mentioned, man, uh, Ohio State almost t- – Tulsa gave Ohio State a run for their money, and that's frightening. Georgia Tech gave Clemson a run for their money, and that's – so – Yes, I'm hitting the panic button right now, but there's a lot of parody in college football right now. There is no perfect team out there. There's no Alabamas of last year. There's no LSUs of the year prior. Every team has their flaws. So, you know, still still holding out hope, but good Lord, making me sweat. I'll get on to Clemson in a minute. I, I, you brought them up, and I'll talk about them more in a minute. But, Lando, a serious question. Do you think that Lincoln Riley would ever consider going to Caleb Williams? Uh, yes, and I say that after watching the Texas game last year when Spencer Rattler struggled really bad in that first half, and Lincoln Riley benched him and put in uh, uh, Tanner Mordecai for a couple series. And I think Lincoln Riley is gonna is gonna give him one more opportunity to to prove himself. But the the clock is ticking, the seat is getting hot because. Caleb Williams looked really good in the spring game, and I know it's a spring game, but sometimes you 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 have to you have to put a put somebody in there to to, uh, to get a spark, and sometimes getting your offense going is all about having that spark, having your team rally behind you. And right now, I feel like the 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 other ten guys on the offense aren't rallying behind Spencer Rattler because they they see that he's not getting it done. So I do feel Lincoln Riley will put in Caleb Williams before, before the season's over. I honestly would love to see that too. I was a big fan of Caleb Williams coming out. I know me and Lito have had a couple conversations about it when he committed. Um, he was the top quarterback prospect from last year's recruiting class, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, I think he won the Elite 11 this year. I'm, I'm pretty sure he did. I know when I was – I actually watched it. It was in Nashville. I was going to try and go, but they wouldn't let people in because of COVID. Uh, so I ended up watching it on my laptop, and I thought he looked by far the best at everybody mm-hmm. there. He reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson. If you could stick a guy like that in that offense with that running ability and then with that strong arm he's got too, oh my gosh. If he's got it, if he's ready to go, if he knows the playbook, I would have thrown him in already. Yeah. Obviously, we, we, we've we talked about that, but the other noon game that this week I thought was was compelling was the Indiana-Cincinnati game. And, and I thought those two teams came out with defenses with their hair on fire. That was fun football to watch. That looked like a Big Ten game rather than a Big Ten AAC game. No, yeah, I definitely think uh, Indiana is is you know keeping that that same momentum from last year of being a, a well coached, really good football team. And Cincinnati, that was that, that's actually a big win for them. You know, I I think they they showed they show the country a lot being able to to pull through and come through the, uh, with that win. Yeah, Indiana to me, even against Iowa and against Idaho last or two weekends ago. I think they've looked like a good football team. Michael Penix just not just does not look like he's gotten it back since he got injured. He's thrown six picks in two of the three first games of the season. He didn't throw any against Idaho, but he also got – I don't know if he got hurt or if he got benched after the first quarter because Jack Tuttle played more than he did throughout that pretty much entire game. But he is the reason they lost to Cincinnati because they were rolling in that first half. I thought they were going to blow him out, and then right at the end of that first half, after that targeting call, when Cincinnati was on offense, I think it was like fourth and goal or fourth and 15 or something like that, ended up getting a first down. 
He threw a pick. He threw two picks at the end of the half, and they scored on those two picks. And then he came back in the second half and threw another really costly pick too, which put them which put them up in the game. It was the first time they had the lead. He's really, really bringing them down this year. I think they are well coached, like Lando said. I think they brought back a lot of the guys from last year, and all those guys are still really good. It's just the fact that Penix is turning the ball over so much. He's not making the plays he was last year, which to me is really surprising because last year he was awesome. But they got to figure something out if they're going to try and compete in the Big Ten. Yeah, see, a lot of a lot of people were circling the kickoff return for Cincinnati as the moment that turned the game around. I think it was when Micah McFadden got ejected for targeting. And I feel like, and I I said this a lot last year, and I'm still riding on this boat this year, they need to change the rule for targeting um, as far as getting ejected. If you want to give the 15-yard penalty, so be it. But these ejections, if like they need to figure out a way of figuring out intent because (laughs) these guys are moving so fast and these last second head moves down and now it's a targeting call and now that guy's out of the game that play changed the game because the the defensive momentum that Indiana had kind of slowed down a lot after that play Matt I'm totally with you on that targeting but how many years has this targeting rule been been in effect it's been in effect for a long time and ever since you know they put it in place we've been trying to to figure out a way to get rid of it, and it's not happened. So, as much as I hate the rule, it's there, and for the for the foreseeable future, it's not going to go anywhere. So, yeah, that that it was a huge momentum swinger. I really wish they would change the rule, but I, I just I just don't see it happening. I, I think my problem with it is that there th- this year is seemingly more so, even in the past two years, they're doing it on more bang bang plays where. It's not a guy that is launching with his head down. It's they're running in. Somebody moved like there was a really bad one, in my opinion. It was bad in the Penn State Auburn game where the dude's going to make a play at the goal line and he leans his shoulder in. The guy's diving. He makes contact with the head and neck area and they eject him for targeting when it's like I don't feel like those calls were being made as much in the in previous seasons. Yeah, I think they should follow the NFL model where when it's it's just a personal foul and it's 15 yards and and like you said the player doesn't get ejected cuz that it, it it's a it's a huge momentum swing and it it really it hurts a lot of teams a lot of team a lot of teams suffer for, for from this from this penalty so they should change it do i think they'll change it in the near future probably not and I don't either because the whole point of it is is it's a safety thing for the tackler. Um, but outside of that, I think Cincinnati looked really good overall once they got rolling on offense. Uh, defensively, they are still like a they're, – they're a really fast team. They swarm to the ball. Uh, they're still that, that group of five team to watch out for, especially in a year where there's so many teams that are so close. Uh, if, if they do beat Notre Dame, and they go undefeated. With the way that this season's lined up, I think there's a bigger chance for them to get into the playoff this year than there has been in previous years. So are we still going to give Notre Dame that same, basically, strength as we have in the past years? Because Notre Dame doesn't look that good this year. Are are we still going to count that win as as a really strong win to get them into the college football playoff? In reality, no. it's not. I don't think it's going to be the win that, that pushes them over the edge. But on paper, 
when you look at it, Cincinnati beating a Notre Dame, which is a independent school. They've been, you know, a top tier traditional historic program with a lot of success. They were in the playoff last year and Cincinnati was a fringe team last year, went to the Peach Bowl. I think that the playoff committee is going to give them the bump for Notre Dame solely because of name brand rather than actual performance. Matt, you're right. They're going to get that bump, but they still have to go undefeated. This isn't right, a year. Right, right. Yeah, this isn't a year when, even though they have a pretty tough schedule for a group of five team, playing Notre Dame at home and playing Indiana at home, it's still they're still playing in a group of five conference. And you could say, you know, Pac-12 might not be as good as the AAC. ACC might not be as good as the AAC. Either way, that's not how the committee is going to look at it. They're going to look at it and go, to us, you're only playing two great teams, and that's Indiana and Notre Dame. So getting that win against Notre Dame and then going undefeated, especially if they could like blow out Notre Dame or win by like at least 10 or 15 points, that would be huge for them going forward because that at least puts them in, like right now, what are they ranked? Eight? If they go in and blow out Notre Dame or beat them by at least two touchdowns or whatever, that puts them on the map for the committee. They look at them and go, okay, this is a team that can compete with a team that was in the playoff last year, and that was a preseason top 10 team for us. And right now is a top 12 team. And if they beat Wisconsin, I'm sure they'll be top 10 or whatever. Not that I think they're that good. But it's enough for them, just having that on their schedule is enough for them to make a push in the committee's eyes to get into that top four. And Matt is right with the way that college football has been with Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, lots of other teams, Texas A&M, really not looking that good to start the year. If those teams kind of continue down that path, Cincinnati has a real shot to make it this year. And I think it depends on what UCF does for the rest of the year, too. Because if you see, I mean, obviously Dylan Gabriel going down, I think that that's going to hurt UCF a little bit. But if UCF can come in and and win a lot of games and end up in the top 25, Notre Dame, even with three losses, would probably be probably still be a top 25 team. And that gives you two top 25 wins, one being on the road and a Big Ten win on the road. And, and, and that, to me, is going to be enough – for the committee, if they go undefeated, for the committee to say, all right, undefeated Cincinnati, we can put them in over one loss Clemson because Clemson really struggled against Georgia Tech at home. Like, that, that's not a good loss. And I feel like they have to at some point, because there is a human element, weigh in on good losses and good wins and, and ugly wins, I should say. And while Clemson has the good loss against Georgia, they also have a really ugly win. And so if Cincinnati has nothing but great wins on their schedule, like they're blowing teams out, and then you know they have a 14-point win on the road against Indiana, who has a good defense, and say Indiana wins a, a, big, a big, big 10 game, like against a Michigan or an Ohio State or Iowa, that's going to only make that win look better. And then same with Notre Dame. If Notre Dame wins a big game in the ACC against an ACC opponent or you know somebody else on their schedule, I think that that's only going to make that win look better. So if you're Cincinnati, you're a huge Indiana fan, and you're going to be a huge Notre Dame fan for the rest of the season after you play them. Honestly, Matt, though, I disagree with you a little bit because I don't think – I think even if Cincinnati goes undefeated, I don't think they're going to compare them to Clemson, like a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Ohio State. If Oklahoma loses a game and wins out, one-loss Oklahoma. I think if those three teams, even a one-loss Alabama or Georgia who loses the SEC championship, I think those teams right there, like out of those five, if they have one loss, no matter what, they're in. That's just how it is. They 
it makes the committee more money to do that. It brings in more viewers to do that. Even though like a lot of people are going to want Cincinnati to make it, and I don't think it's really the right thing because honestly right now I think Cincinnati would beat Ohio State and Clemson at this point. Now that could change down the road. Clemson and Ohio State have more talent than Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's been playing better football. So, But I just couldn't see the committee taking a Power 5 conference champion or even just a one-loss Power 5 team and slapping Cincinnati in over them regardless of who they beat. Well, yeah, well, Florida played good. Alabama should have blew them out, though. I think I think the that game was a lot like how the Oklahoma game was. Uh, Oklahoma should have blown out Nebraska. They just didn't play to that standard. Alabama was the same way. Alabama played a great first quarter. They didn't play a great rest of the three quarters. Yeah, that. I'll be honest. I'm I'm not totally surprised by what happened in Gainesville. And I try. I've been trying to tell you all this. Alabama is mortal this year. Alabama is not the Alabama of last year. I'm not hitting the panic button and saying that they're trash or that Saban's washed or that Alabama's gonna lose five games this year. And and I'm still not saying that. But you have a first year starter who didn't play in any hostile environments last year. Never even experienced it as a a bench player on a team that faced pretty much zero adversity aside from maybe the Ole Miss game and the SEC championship where they were moderately close back and forth games. But even then, not a lot of adversity. And you go in to Florida, which was the swamp was rocking. Uh, I I got to give Bryce Young credit. Uh, he he did a good job of, of being more of that game manager, not turning the ball over later in the game and not making mistakes. But, I mean, Slade Bolden dropping a ball in the end zone and Alabama having to kick a field goal instead of getting a touchdown on that drive makes that a closer game. Uh, Alabama had a lot of opportunities to, to, to put that game out of reach early. And for whatever reason, they didn't have that killer instinct that we're, we've been used to seeing the past couple of years. Uh, with, even with back as far as 2018, whenever Tua was there, you know, if Alabama went up twenty-one-three on anybody, it was it was ball game, and and that just doesn't seem like this team has that identity this year. See, I think what happened was we all thought that Florida had the same defense they had last year. They lost all their top pieces on offense. We've been watching them the first three games of the season, and they've been able to run the ball, but they've been playing FAU USF. They haven't been able to throw the ball, and on Alabama. Everybody's like, you can't run the ball and beat Alabama. It's not possible. You got to be able to throw the ball. You got to be able to stretch the field. They're too good all over the defense. Offense is going to score a lot of points. You got to be able to keep up. I think this Florida team, their defense is a lot better than it was last year. And I'm not saying they're, you know, top five in the SEC, top five in the country, that kind of defense. They're not dominant, but they're way better defense than they were before and I don't think Nick Saban and Alabama could really see that on tape through the first two games because it's really hard to see that when they play teams like FAU and USF they're not having to throw all the stops out there they're not having to get creative on defense when you play Alabama you're throwing everything you're throwing the playbook at them you're doing whatever you can Dan Mullen offensively isn't is a mastermind I mean when it comes to the offense he knew exactly what he needed to throw at them Obviously, to start the game, I think he got kind of shell-shocked a little bit. 
I think the players, I think anybody that plays Alabama kind of comes out and goes, crap, we're playing Alabama. Alabama's the best team for the last, you know, 15 years or so. Can we beat this team? Are we good enough to beat this team? Am I good enough to be the player I need to be to be, to win this game? Um, and then, obviously, I think they kind of figured it out there and at the end of the second half started turning it on. I think Bama kind of took their foot off the gas, too, uh, which I was very shocked by because I feel like most Saban teams don't do that. It's it's very rare to see a team come back and beat Alabama. I think Florida just looked better than everybody thought they'd be. Emory looked better passing the ball. It was a good showing. So do we still think that Florida is a better football team with Emory Jones at the helm? I, I don't. I'll be honest, man. I have told many people this. I think if Anthony Richardson was healthy and they were able to utilize him in that game at all, they would have they would have won. They they would have had a real chance at winning that football game better than they did with Emory Jones. I think Emory Jones did enough to keep it a close game and move the and and, and honestly, I think the most disappointing thing from my point of view was how gassed Alabama's defense looked in the in the fourth quarter. I mean, they they looked awful. Will Anderson was limping off the field, and it wasn't because he was hurt. It was because he was dehydrated and tired. That seemed to be the biggest concern for me was why are we gassed in the fourth quarter? And so Emory Jones, I think, did a good job, and Dan Mullen did a great job calling plays. I'm not taking anything away from Florida. I think Florida played the their A game. Outside of that first quarter, I think that Florida gave their best shot that they had but I still think Anthony Richardson's a better overall player for Florida than Emory Jones is. And I think that he will showcase that eventually this season. Now, what was the injury that kept him from playing on Saturday? He pulled his hamstring okay. against USF. He was running into the end zone, had some hamstring tightness, came up gimpy. He was like a game time type decision. And I, I think they just decided rather than push it against Alabama. And and honestly, if you want my honest opinion, I think in the back of Dan Mullen's mind, I'm not saying that he called Alabama a loss, but he knew that if he could play Alabama like that with just Emory Jones, I'm going to save Anthony Richardson for when he's a hundred percent for a guy, for a team like Georgia, where they don't have the tape on him already. That. That is a very smart observation because you save him for Georgia, you beat Georgia, and then you have that second opportunity to play Alabama again in the SEC championship game, and then you have you, you have you have all that fuel to give your team. Oh, hey, look, we played Alabama toe to toe with with Emory Jones. Think about what we can do with with Richardson in the game. So, I, Matt, I think that, that that's a wonderful observation. See, I. Personally, and as a Georgia fan too, I'm pumping the brakes on Anthony Richardson. The dude is a freak athlete. I mean, he looks like, honestly, reminds me a lot of Lamar Jackson when he runs the ball. I mean, he's he's insane. I mean, he's super fast, very agile. He makes some unreal plays. I think he hurdled a guy against USF. I mean, he's, he's absolutely unreal. But we haven't seen him in the passing game have to throw the ball and make plays. I know he had one really good pass against USF. I think he threw like two touchdowns. So... I mean, cool, but Emory Jones, to me, is a proven passer. And no, like he's not he's not a superstar, but he, he can throw the ball. He's got a big arm. That's the reason he was such a highly recruited player. And then adding in that, that uh, running game, I think the reason he started the season is because Dan Mullen knows that he can be more dynamic with the offense 
with Emory Jones because they can throw the ball better than if Anthony Richardson was in the game. Anthony Richardson's more of just a snap the ball to him, let him run the ball kind of guy. Maybe throw a couple passes here and there, not a not a stretch the field and dual threat run the ball kind of quarterback. What? Obviously, I don't know, we'll, we'll get to see that at some what? point this year. That's you, just me. That's just me saying that because I, I haven't. I mean, we haven't really seen him play against a good team yet. You, you, if you, you just described Emory Jones like. <laughs> Your your synopsis on Anthony Richardson is literally Emory Jones. If if you want my opinion on Anthony Richards Anthony Richardson, to me, Emory Jones is a more athletic Nick Fitzgerald. Yes. Like he's he's more dynamic in the run game, Nick Fitzgerald. Anthony he's a, Richardson He's a way better passer than Nick Fitzgerald, though. He's got he uh, has the arm. Oh, he just man. it's, it's the got same the arm, but it's the accuracy. I think you. Anthony Richards. I think Anthony Richardson okay, is a is a more accurate passer, and I think that he's got just as good, if not better, of an arm than Emory Jones. I it, it, very like, much I, disagree I, with that. Florida fans are going to be like, "Oh no, we're happy with Emory Jones because they're used to what they're seeing." Anthony Richardson to me is so much more dynamic than than Emory Jones in the run game, and I think he's just as good of a passer. Yeah, and and Dan Mullen has the same thing on his hands that Lincoln Riley does. Are you going to watch the film and 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 make that tough decision and put in the guy that's going to give you a spark to spark your offense to take your team from a good team to an elite level to be able to beat Alabama to to make a run in the college football playoff? I think the difference between Florida and Oklahoma though is Spencer Rattler, like you said earlier, he had all of last year to develop and mentally become the leader of that team. And it looks like he really hasn't taken any steps forward this year. This is Emory's third. That was Emory's third game as a starting quarterback ever. Like, yeah, he got thrown into a couple games last year when they're in blowouts. But this is Emory. I mean, yeah, he, and he knows the offense, but and he knows Dan Mullen while he's been working with him. But that's his third game starting, and he lost to Alabama by two points. And he played really well. He did not play bad in that game. That's what I'm saying the difference is right now for me. If you would have asked me before the Alabama game who I would have started, it would have been Anthony Richardson. But I've seen Emory Jones throw the ball against what I think is a pretty good defense. I know he didn't go for 300 yards, but he was he was accurate in that game. He made some good medium throws. Yeah, he he look he he, he made some good medium throws against a defense that that let's just be honest they 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 they, they rolled their helmets out on the, on the field for the, those last three quarters in in that second half. Now now the first quarter they they played lights out and and they showed who 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 uh. Who Emory Jones really is against a good defense. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. Pete Golding called a terrible game in the second half, and I don't know, I don't know if it's our defense that isn't that good, or if we've just become so accustomed to Alabama having really good defenses that this one it, we were like, oh yeah, they've got a lot of returners, uh, the starters returning that, but I mean they're just not as good as we're accustomed to. And, and I'll be the first one to say, like, I don't know that Alabama's defense is going to be the strength that I thought it was preseason. I'm, I'm just, I will say this. I am very scared for the Ole Miss game because Ole Miss's defense is better than it was last year. And their offense is way more dynamic than Florida's. And they have a guy that can stretch the field with the ball and Matt Corral. I, I promise you. And, and here's the other thing. Of all of the Saban assistants that he's played against, Lane Kiffin's the only one that doesn't have that thing in the back of his mind. Lane Kiffin is not scared of Nick Saban. Kirby Smart outthunk himself against Nick Saban twice <laughs> whenever he played him. And yep. you saw that on the fourth down and ten whenever he calls the fake punt. 
Lane Kiffin ain't going to do that. Lane Kiffin is not scared of Nick Saban. He's not scared of going into Tuscaloosa, and that team welcomes it. I am. I, I will go on record now and say I am very scared about the Ole Miss game. Boy, boy that game is going to be a barn burner. When now? When when is that game uh, happening? A couple weeks. It, weeks uh, right? October second, not this weekend. And the other the thing is, after. Ole Miss has got a Ole Miss has a bye this week, and then they play Alabama. So they got two weeks. They got two weeks rest to, to and prepare. prepare for Alabama. They got two weeks to prepare for Alabama. Lane Kiffin has two weeks of defensive film. I'm telling you, if there was a game that this year I'm circling at this point and being like, that's the one that Alabama is going to slip up in. It's Ole Miss and. And I've got some takes on Ole Miss that that a lot of people probably are like, oh, let's pump the brakes, haven't played anybody. That defense is better than it was last year. And they won five games in an all-SEC schedule last year with a defense that was 126th in rushing out of 127. Matt, this is going to give you nightmares, but wasn't uh, over the weekend the anniversary of, uh, of when Chad Kelly threw that, that tip ball and, and, they, and they ran it into the end zone? That was yesterday, I believe. Yesterday. I, I believe yesterday. And and honestly, I mean that th- to me, this this Ole Miss team has that kind of swagger about them on yeah. offense, especially even even more so because Matt Corral. I I said this back last December or last January, whenever we were doing a pre uh, like a, a postseason show, put them throw the money on Matt Corral. That dude's a baller. He played at Michigan, didn't he? No, he no. uh Matt Matt Corral was a Florida commit. Uh, Shay Patter- Shea Patterson was the only quarterback that transferred of. to Michigan. And it's because Corral came in. Matt Corral was one of Hugh Freeze's last big signings. Gotcha. He was committed gotcha. to Florida, flipped to Ole Miss, and then for whatever reason, Rich Rodriguez was running him and JRP out there kind of as a duo. And then Lane Kiffin came in. And I mean, the arm talent that Matt Corral has, and even the wheels, like this past weekend. <laughs> Dude had seven total touchdowns on offense, four rushing, three passing, first person in SEC history to ever do that. So are you going to call it now? Is is Matt Corral going to win the Heisman? Are, are, are you calling not, it now? I'm not calling it now. I'm not calling it. I'm just saying that I had him is – I said put your money on Matt Corral in January, and that has shown itself to be a, a promising – a very early promising pick. That so far has been a money take, Matt, because he right now is the betting favorite to win the Heisman. I'm going to make this, this statement week. right now. If he balls out against Alabama, he's going to win the Heisman. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if, if th- this is his Heisman moment game. You yeah. ball out against Alabama, like it's great when you do it against Louisville. It's great when you do it against Austin P. It's great when you do it against Tulane. Now, what he did it against Tulane in three quarters was insane. But I mean, that's going to give him the numbers. But you do it against Alabama. On the road would at the three thirty game, you're gonna get the national media's attention at that point. If even if Ole Miss does lose that game, but he puts up stupid numbers and does and, and protects the football, I, I think that that's gonna be whether or not he d- determines whether or not he wins the Heisman. Because RG three won the Heisman and had some bad losses, but he had the numbers in a lot of games that kept him close is what yeah. won him the Heisman. And he also and, he also had plays that that I, I still very vividly remember. Where where that that won him the Heisman? Yeah, and so I think Matt Corral has that type of potential. And and man, if you listen to me, if you listen to me back in January and you put the money on him, he was plus twenty two hundred as a betting favorite, oh. plus twenty two hundred, and now he's like plus two hundred or three hundred. It's 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 gone way down. It has, and he's looked really good. I think, 
I'm kind of in the same boat with Ole Miss. I feel like, especially with the defense, the offense for Ole Miss is unreal. I need to see Ole Miss play a good team before I say that their defense is better than last year. I think it, well, okay, I think it's better than last year, but their defense from last year was so bad. I mean, it was awful. Let, let, let me let me just throw some insight here. As an Ole Miss student, I've watched every game from them last year and this year. The defense, Chance Campbell, number 44, middle linebacker for Ole Miss, is a game changer on that defense. He came, he's a transfer from Maryland, so he played with DJ Durkin, who's the defensive coordinator, he played with him at Maryland. He knows that defense like the back of his hand. Otis Reese has been playing for the entire season this year. He was ineligible for like seven of the ten games last year. Those two guys alone have turned the tide on what that defense is. They're faster, they're attacking the ball better, and to me, UCF has a moderately decent defense, and they got shredded by Louisville. Ole Miss didn't get shredded by Louisville. Malik Cunningham didn't do anything against Ole Miss that was like that impressive. Most of their points came in the third and fourth quarter. They got shut out in the first half against Ole Miss. Ole Miss's defense is for real this year. I wouldn't say that it's like top 10, but they're in that Florida range to me where they've improved enough, and they didn't have to improve that much, in my opinion, to win more games because they were 126 out of 127 in rushing last year, and they were like 80th or 90th in passing defense. So all they had to do was get that middle of the road better, and that Matt Corral offense with Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby, like the it, it, Jeff Lebby brought the brainchild of Lane Kiffin and Art Bryles and put it in one, and that is magic. Yeah, that that Ole Miss Alabama game is going to be really good. Uh, but we're starting to run out of time. Let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag. Yeah, so our first question is from at Ethan Hellman seventy nine. His question is: Will Iowa upset Penn State and find themselves in the college football playoff? What do y'all think? I'm going to say no. I think that Iowa's offense is just not good enough to match with Penn State's offense, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to the quarterbacks at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I feel like the defenses are going to be pretty equal in this game. Um, honestly, I, I feel like this is going to be one of those Wisconsin-Penn State games reincarnated where which team can push the ball down the field enough. I could see it, man. Iowa is... They're playing really, really good on defense. Them, them and Penn State, that's going to be such a good game. I, I don't know. I, I, I think they could do it, yes. It's a home game, so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give Iowa a chance in that game for sure. I agree with you that the, the quarterback play favors Penn State, but Iowa's defense is going to give them a chance in every single game they're in this year. Yeah, Matt, I, I'm with you. I think Iowa has a good chance to make the college football playoff. And I think if there was ever a year that they were going to do it, it was going to be this year. They're undefeated. They've beaten Iowa State and Indiana, who were two of their top four games this year. Their other two are Penn State, who's ranked sixth right now. They get them at home. That's going to be the hardest game of the year for them. And then they get Wisconsin away. That'll be a tough game. Wisconsin's a tough place to play. I don't think Wisconsin is very good this year from what I've seen so far. I don't think they're the Wisconsin's with Jonathan Taylor. I think they're more like their Wisconsin from last year. That was kind of just lackluster, maybe a top 25 team, but kind of towards the back of that top 25, not as much towards that top 15, top five range like they've been before. Um, besides that, I mean, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska, Northwestern, Purdue, I think they should beat all those teams. Their defense alone should be good enough for them to beat all those teams. The Big Ten is better than it was last year, but it's still down. Ohio State, in my opinion, is 
down so far. Obviously, I think they had a chance to turn it on. It's only week three. They, they got time to get everybody right. They only got one loss since against a top four team right now. But Iowa, if they can win out, get to that uh, Big Ten championship against Penn State or Ohio State, get an upset win there, I mean, they're in. I mean, all they got to do is win out. I think they could even take a loss to Penn State in the regular season and then turn around and beat them in the championship and they'd make it too. So I think that Iowa's got a really good chance just because of their schedule and the way the Big Ten is, the way Ohio State is. Um, it, that's going to be a tough game against Penn State, though. And moving on to our next question, we got two from our buddy at Chad S underscore 529. His first question is, who is the most slept on non-ranked team currently? Through three weeks, I think my top non-ranked team, um, and looking in the group of five as well, I think San Diego State's that team. They have a 24-point win at Arizona in the Pac-12. That's a Power 5 team. And they have a two-point win against Utah, who was ranked like a week ago. I mean, Utah And Utah's a pretty decent team this year, too. So the fact that they've had these wins over the first three games, over these Power 5 teams, these teams that people were thinking might be top 25 teams, and they've been, you know, pretty solid wins. Um, I honestly think there's a good – they should be top – 30 as of now should be working their way into that top 25 range. They got some games to get up in there maybe later on in the year. Um, I could see them being one of those surprise teams to kind of make that push for that uh, New Year's six spot, If especially if Cincinnati makes that jump to the playoff this year too. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Liberty. Uh, Liberty had a really good season last year. Uh, Hugh Freeze, obviously being the coach there, is always going to give them some notoriety. Um do I think they're as good as they were last year? Not necessarily. I, I mean, they they won a good a game against Troy. They beat Old Dominion by a lot. And I think Troy is going to be a decent team in the Sun Belt this year. Uh, they normally are a moderately good team. Sometimes they're really good. It just kind of depends on the year. Uh, but I, I think Liberty, to me, they're that group of five team that had such a good year last year, played a really good game against uh, Coastal Carolina last year in a bowl game. Um you know, I, I'm going to go Liberty here. Yeah, I'm going to go with West Virginia. I think that offensively and defensively, they're starting to kind of come into their own with that head coach. And this weekend, they have a big test against Oklahoma away. It's the 7:30 game, primetime game on on ABC, and I think they're going to show a lot of people that they're a force to be reckoned with this year. The only thing I'll say about West Virginia that might give you some confidence, Lando is West Virginia is two different teams at home and away. Yes, like at home, true. they're they're a really good team. Away, they seem to struggle a little bit more. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, uh, agree with that. Morgantown is a hell of a place to, to play in. They have an awesome fan base, uh, and it, re- it really does give West Virginia an edge when they're playing at home. Matt, that, that, that's, that's a great assessment on that. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that Oklahoma's playing them uh, at home. That being said, sometimes you just never know. All right, we're on to Chad's next question. This one is, find me an Arkansas win over the next four weeks. They play Texas A&M, they play at Georgia, they play at Ole Miss, and they play Auburn. That's your win right there, Texas A&M. They're going to beat Texas A&M handily. I I also think they're going to beat Texas A&M. I think they're going to beat Texas A&M for one reason and one reason alone, and that's because they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder that this isn't a home game for them this year. 
Uh, last year, Texas A&M got to play that game at Kyle Field. And so this year they were like, hey, we should get a home game to reciprocate that. But they're playing in Jarrett World. So uh, I, I don't think that they're going to be – that they're too happy about that. Sam Pittman's a great coach. I think they're going to go in and they're going to win that game. I also think they're going to beat Auburn. I think Auburn's a good team. But I think that Sam Pittman has that defense prime to beat Auburn. And honestly, if there is a game that Ole Miss is going to lose, like if they outside of Alabama, if they beat Alabama, they always, for whatever reason, they struggle with Arkansas. Uh, I, I think this year Ole Miss could get over that hump because Matt Corral's had that game circled as a as a vengeance game because he played so bad there last year, and it's in Oxford. So, uh, but but I would say definitely, I think that they'll beat A and M. I think they'll beat Auburn. I think Arkansas is one hundred percent going to beat Auburn this year. And it's not because I think Auburn's bad. I just think they match up really well. Auburn, to me, against that Penn State team, didn't really look as physical as I would have liked for them to look. They looked good. They looked better than they were last year um, under Brian Harson, but they just didn't look that good to me. I think that's a for sure win. I'm taking them over A&M this weekend. Go ahead and spoil my pick for later on. They always play A&M tough. I've said this way earlier in the year. When we were talking about like most underrated rivalries, I think Texas A&M Arkansas is one of the best rivalries in the SEC that nobody talks about ever. Um, they always played in Arlington and Jerry World. Um, I, I definitely think they're going to knock them off this weekend. I say they get at least two wins out of this. I could see three. It would not surprise me if they gave Georgia a game. It would not surprise me if they knocked off Ole Miss with the way they play Ole Miss. Only reason I would take Georgia and Ole Miss over Arkansas is they both get them at home. So that, that helps out a lot. Fayetteville's going to be rocking for that Auburn game, uh, which is why I think Auburn, there's just no way they, they beat them. I'll say this about that Georgia game, too. It's a noon game, and we know how yeah. noon games in Sanford Stadium can sneak up on them. So yeah. I, I think that that's going to I – don't, I, I don't think that they're going to beat Georgia, but I think that they're going to give Georgia a game. And But I, I, I also think that Georgia's going to come in more prepared because it's not South Carolina. I'm with you. I'm with you for sure. I, once I saw that was a noon game, I, I got a little antsy about it, not going to lie. but um, and, and the way they've looked the last two weeks against Texas and Georgia Southern, and yeah, I mean, it's Texas and Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern sucks this year. Texas, we don't really know how good they are yet. They're probably not super good. Um, but it's still, I mean, they look like a good football team. and It's going to be a good uh, good year for Arkansas. We'll go ahead and move on to the next question. This one's from at Kissler underscore 106. His question is, would Auburn have beaten Penn State Saturday night with Gus Malzahn? No. I don't think so either. I think I think Gus would have tried to pull out some tricks, but yep. I'll be honest. I, I feel like Gus's last two years in Auburn, he had kind of worn out his welcome, and he did like that. Bo Nix actually, in my opinion, looks better this year than he did ever under Gus Malzahn. So uh, I, I think that Penn State won that game. With Malzahn, with Harson, with anybody. I think they look way better without Gus Malzahn there, especially Bo Nix. And I think Gus Malzahn has shown what kind of coach he is with how he's been with UCF, too. They've taken a huge step back since when they had Hypo and when they had Scott Frost with Malzahn. I think they are going to take a huge step back going forward, too, especially with losing um, Dylan Gabriel. Malzahn's just not a good coach. He needs to go back to coaching Arkansas high school football. And, uh, no, Brian Harson's a better coach than Gus Mozan. And then moving on to the next question, it's another one from Kiss, Kissler underscore 106. This one is, what job is more appealing, USC or Miami? It's actually a great question. And I'm going to say Miami just for the sole reason that the best high school football players come from the South, from, from this region. And 
the fact that Miami is basically in it's oh not basically Miami's in the South. So they're going to have the best pick of the litter. And what players are not going to want to go play for Miami? It's 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 just cool to, to go to Miami and have a good time. And historically, Miami is, is always a pretty good football team. So I'm, I'm going to say Miami just from the fact that they can get the best of the best from uh, high school football players. So the two of the top three best states for college or for high school football players is California and Florida. Miami is a hotbed for wide receivers. Uh, a lot of great wide receivers have come from that South Florida area. On this question, I think it comes down to resources and in-state competition and what you're going up against in your conference. I also think this is a great question, by the way. I've got to go with USC here for the sole reason of Florida State, even though they're 0-3 right now, they're a top-10 recruiting team right now with Mike Norvell. Uh, it's just the development that hasn't been there. Next year's class is still top 10. So they're they're recruiting really well. You're competing against Florida, who's in the SEC with Dan Mullen, and they're starting to show a lot of promise. They're going to be in the top 15 in recruiting. I don't think that Miami has the appeal that it did in the 90s and early 2000s that it used to have. USC, on the other hand, you're competing against UCLA and Oregon, and it's in LA. And I think if you put the right people the right person in usc that the recruiting there is going to be a lot easier than in a miami because you're i mean miami is competing against alabama for players in florida they're competing against clemson for players in florida they're competing against georgia for players in florida and if you look at the state of all of those programs right now a lot of these guys don't care about staying close to home they care about getting to the nfl and making that money and Programs outside of Miami are doing a better job of putting players in the NFL. So I've got to go USC on this question. Yeah, Matt, I just want to say one thing real quick. You, you brought up a good point uh, about the teams that Miami, uh, they're competing against recruiting-wise. All the, Those teams you mentioned in Florida have won a national championship more recently than Miami. So, And I think that also plays a big role in that. Yeah, Matt, I, I think you're right on the nose there, dude. It's Miami has way too much in-state competition that has been more successful than they've been for the past couple of years. I mean, I think the last national championship they won is, was what, 2001, 2002? Yeah, somewhere uh, in there. 2001. Yeah, so it, it, it's been a while, and obviously there's other teams, not counting the team I cheer for, that hasn't won a national championship in a long time either. But when you have teams like Florida, the SEC, like you were saying, UCF's about to jump to the Big 12. They're going to start recruiting better than they are right now. You got... Florida State, who they've been down, but it's still Florida State. They're they're a huge name. They're about as big a name as Miami, if not bigger. Um, they're still going to recruit well, even if they're not playing well. Um, FAU isn't going to recruit great, but it's still it's another school there that's going to take talent from them. In California and in the entire West Coast of the country, I don't. I think when USC's up, I don't think anybody can compete with them with recruiting. Even Oregon, I know Oregon right now is doing really well. But I think if you had a coach in there, like if you swap Cristobal and Helton when Helton was at USC and put Cristobal at USC, it would be a dominant performance. And it, it would be unreal. I mean, Oregon's been pretty dominant in the West, but they're still losing a lot of guys to Ohio State. They're losing a lot of guys to Georgia, Alabama. Texas is getting some of those guys too. I think Oklahoma's got a couple of California players on there right now. When USC was up, people were not leaving the state of California. People were playing for USC. And UCLA is a factor in there too. But even when UCLA is at the top of their game, they're not going to out-recruit USC. 
They're just not going to. USC's got too much history and too many resources behind the program to let that happen. So to me, it's USC. I do think it's close. It's closer than it should be, in my opinion, just because of the state of the programs. Um, And for me, honestly, I I wouldn't want to live in Miami because it's humid as crap and I sweat like a pig. But USC, to me, I think it's easily – uh, or, well, like I said, I think it's close, but I would go USC. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it is a lot closer than it should be. I mean, if you ask this question in 2012, 2013, I think that it's it's probably a little more separated. I don't know. I mean, even Miami was a little better than USC there for a stretch, so I I, I don't know, man. It's That's a really good question, though. I, I, I appreciate that question. I mean, I think Miami isn't good this year, but I actually think if Miami and USC played, Miami would beat USC. Oh, yeah, most definitely. But that quarterback yeah. that's starting for USC right now has has some magic to him. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about him, him here in a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our pour one out, cut him off segment. Lando, who you pouring one out for? This week I'm pouring it out for Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau for putting all of their differences aside this week for the Ryder Cup. It needs to happen because the U.S. the United States needs to win. We need to beat Europe in the Ryder Cup this year, and for that to happen, those two guys have to be on their best game. So I'm pouring it out for those two guys for putting their differences aside. I'm cutting off Chase Elliott for the all the reasons I mentioned earlier in the podcast. I think ever since he's become NASCAR's golden boy, he thinks that he can do no wrong. He thinks that it's always everybody else's fault, and sometimes you just you just have to admit that you're wrong. And and take blame for things, and I think that he just hasn't done that in the past in the past couple of years, and uh, he's just a crybaby. So that's what I'm cutting off this week, Matt. So this week I am pouring one out for the parody that we have this year in college football. I talked a lot about it last week, and then this week, it, it, this past weekend slate of games just made it even so much more noticeable. Uh, Georgia Tech playing Clemson to a six-point game. I don't even think we really talked about that uh, that much. That was a an incredible performance by Georgia Tech. I think Clemson's taken a big step back, losing Trevor Lawrence, uh, DJ Uyunglele. I just I don't I don't think he's nearly as good as Trevor Lawrence. I I don't think he's going to be the long-term answer there. He he seems to struggle a bit, uh, but nonetheless. Alabama plays a close game, which nearly gave me a heart attack. Still, overall, seeing all these close games amongst teams, uh, Ohio State struggled a little bit. It's fun. That's what college football is all about. You don't want to see the same four teams playing in the in games and, and dominating everything. That's why they were talking about expanding the playoff in the offseason. I think that the parity that we've seen this year is doing a good job of making sure that we we keep college football the way we like it. Uh, And then I am cutting off national media preseason Heisman hype. Uh, A lot of, uh, there was a lot of Heisman hype behind Spencer Rattler, who really hasn't played that well this year. There's been a lot of Heisman hype around Bryce Young, who has played okay this year, but he's not putting up the numbers that Mac Jones was putting up or even Tua was putting up. And, you know he's playing okay. I wouldn't even say that he he's really the only thing that makes him a Heisman contender is he's the quarterback at Alabama. Um, but outside of that, Matt Corral was pretty not very talked about for the Heisman preseason. He's come out and balled out. Uh, and and there's a few other guys that I I 
am failing to mention uh, Brees Hall. Uh, Brees Hall was another guy that was really thrown out there for Heisman hype, not really uh, performing up to that standard this year. So I'm cutting that off. I'm also going to cut off Urban Meyer. I'm cutting off Urban Meyer for one reason, and I'm probably going to cut him off every week. One, he's ruining Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And two, he loses two games. Two games he loses with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he comes out with a statement with all the players linked in arms about how don't turn your back on us, don't give up on us now. Hmm. We're gonna we're gonna work hard to flip this thing around. Urban, we've been here for twenty years. You've been here for two games, and you already trying to tell us not to leave, or are you just telling yourself that because you want to get out of out of Dodge already, and you're waiting for the first college job that'll give you a look to open up. Stop it. Go away, Urban. Go to your college job. Let an NFL guy come in and develop Trevor Lawrence before you ruin him. Wit. God, that was uh, that was angsty. I like it. But I'm I'm pouring one out for Jackson Dart this week. Lando talked about him earlier. He came in the second drive of the USC game against Washington State this week. Threw an interception on that first drive and then came into that third drive, completely turned the whole game around. Threw for 391 yards, four touchdowns. Offense looked way better with Jackson Dart at the helm than it did with Keaton Slovis. I think he's going to be started the rest of the year regardless of if Keaton Slovis comes back or not. And the dude's a freshman. I mean, he had a great game. USC is going to be better under him. Whoever takes over that USC head coaching job is going to have a really good piece to play with for him for the next couple years. I'm cutting off teams playing Georgia rivals. So that's Alabama and Clemson. Cutting both of y'all off. Alabama only won 31 to 29 against Florida. Clemson only won 14 to 8 against Georgia Tech. As a Georgia fan, there's only two things I enjoy. I enjoy watching Georgia blow teams out, and I enjoy watching Georgia's rivals like Florida and Georgia Tech get blown out by good teams. Because usually those teams, past couple of years, those teams are not playoff teams. Those teams are not top five teams when they play the better teams they get blown out now florida obviously was better last year and the year before but before that you know florida's getting blown out by these top teams georgia tech's always getting blown out by these top teams the fact that i had to watch georgia tech almost pull an upset over clemson a top 10 team and i had to watch florida almost pull an upset over alabama who georgia has not beaten yet under kirby smart was not fun for me so I'm cutting off teams playing Georgia rivals. Hopefully next week it's a lot better. Keys, who you got this week? I'm pulling one out this week for DJ Graham, the corner for Oklahoma for an absolutely phenomenal one-handed interception. That's probably one of the best interceptions I've ever seen. Uh, awesome effort on that play. And I'm cutting off Presbyterian for making me look bad. I tried to give some praise to an FCS team and Kevin Kelly for – kind of a unique style and they were actually winning and then they go and lose by like 72 points to Campbell. So never going to pick them again for anything. Yeah. That's probably a good call. Probably don't want to pick a NCAA 14 team to win yeah. an actual college football game. I was going for something interesting. It was interesting that week and I was going to see if they could keep it going, but they really did not. Any team that, that plays football like I play Madden sh- should not, should not win games. Like if you're if you're not gonna punt, if you're not gonna kick actual kickoffs, you're gonna, you're only gonna do onside kicks. You should lose by seventy two points. Literally every single game. You should every get single killed. game. 
Every single game. That is just awful coaching. Good what? for Campbell, though, for not losing. <laughs> anyway, moving on to our locks of the week. Lando, who's your lock this week? My lock of the week is going to be Michigan State over Nebraska. Mel Tucker has Michigan State looking good. And I think they're going to give Michigan a run for their money this year. So I'm going Michigan State over Nebraska. Michigan State, that's a great pick. I I, I thought week one that Mel Tucker was going to have them turn the tide this year and kind of steady the water. He has done more than that. They're they're competing and playing way better than I even thought they would. Uh, this, this week, my lock of the week, I'm keeping this one on regular Eastern Standard Time uh, rather than than making you guys stay up until 3 a.m. and watch Hawaii lose, as I said they would. I do love Hawaii football. Go Rainbow Warriors. Uh, But this week, my lock of the week is the Mississippi State Bulldogs beating the LSU Tigers at home. Uh, I think that that's going to be a really good game. Uh, Two teams in the SEC West that are kind of trying to feel their way out. Uh, It's in Starkville. The cowbells are going to be ringing loud, and I hate playing in that place. Uh, it's a miserable place to be. And Mississippi State's coming off of that loss to Memphis with a, they got a little testy there at the end with the uh, that 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 punt return. So uh, it, it should be interesting to see what happens there. But I, I think Mississippi State pulls this one out. With nice, Matt. Yeah, I actually have NC State plus ten against Clemson. Now look, Clemson is a better team. They're more talented. Um, obviously last week they did not look that way. They looked absolutely terrible against Georgia State. But I think they're going to beat NC State. But when you're looking at the spread, and I, I pick against the spread on these just so you all know. If we look at the spread, NC State getting 10 points against a Clemson team that really hasn't looked that good. And to me, NC State has looked like a better team this year. I'm, I, I'm taking NC State. I think they're going to keep it within a touchdown. By the end of the game, uh, it might come down to like a last-second field goal. Like I said, I would still take Clemson straight up if we're, if we're picking it. But NC State plus 10, to me, that's an easy lock. Keys, use your lock this week. So I'm not picking Presbyterian, not picking FCS, but I am going to pick an underdog. And I got Georgia Tech over UNC in a close game. Hopefully they can kind of rally after a pretty decent performance against Clemson last week. And I know last week there was a lot of factors – it was uh, rain delays, all sorts of things that interrupted the game plan for Clemson. Um, and it was an away game for them. But hopefully Georgia Tech plays UNC at home. Hopefully they can knock them off that 21 spot and keep things interesting. We'll go ahead and move on to our picks of the week. Our first game is, of course, our alma mater. Georgia Southern at home taking on Louisiana. Louisiana is a 13.5 point favorite against our Eagles in Paulson Stadium. Lando, who are you picking? <sighs> Hail Southern, Matt. As much as I want to pick Georgia Southern, I don't think this is the week that they write the ship. Louisiana Lafayette is a really good team, or Louisiana as they now want to be called, and they expect me to change the way that I talk about them. Uh, uh, Louisiana, they're a good team, man, and I just don't think that Georgia Southern has the right pieces, especially at quarterback, to do what they need to do offensively to win a lot of football games this year. So, unfortunately, for the third week in a row, I am picking Georgia Southern to lose this game. Wit. So, I originally had Georgia Southern losing this game. Um, I went ahead and picked it right in the dead middle of the Arkansas game last week. We looked like complete garbage. But I found out Justin Tomlin's coming back for this game. He was supposed to be the starter to begin the year. 
I haven't really been impressed with him when he's come in for shy words over the past couple of years, but that could be the spark the offense needs. They're playing in Paulson Stadium. We all know Paulson Stadium gets real rowdy on a Saturday. I'm going Georgia Southern. I think Georgia Southern pulls off the upset. That's a pretty deep spread, too. Definitely think Georgia Southern's going to cover, um, but I think we're going to win straight up, too. So I'm, I'm with Lando. Hail Southern. And moving on to our next game, we got a we got a big undefeated Big Ten matchup. We got our buddy Mr. Tank Handsome's favorite team, Rutgers, taking on number 19 Michigan in the big house in Ann Arbor this weekend. Michigan is a 19-point favorite. Lando, who you got? I'm sorry for this, Mr. Tank Handsome. Michigan by three scores, Matt. I actually think Michigan's a good football team this year. Uh, I know they really haven't played anybody to be able to prove it yet. But Western Michigan has actually turned out and had a couple of good games, and and I think Washington is is an okay team. Uh, but I also think Rutgers is not bad at all. I think that Rutgers is a good team. I'm going to pick Michigan to win this game, but I'm going to pick Rutgers to cover. Win. Look, we do this every year. Michigan every year starts off oh they're three and oh, comes out looking hot. Everybody thinks Harwell's finally turned them around. So naturally, I'm going to pick Michigan. I think they've looked great so far this year. They really haven't played anybody that good. This is going to be the best team they've played so far. But like I said, I think they've improved. The passing game, honestly, looks a lot better than me. The defense looks a lot better than it did last year. I don't think they're going to compete with Ohio State or Penn State this year. But I think Michigan is for sure going to beat Rutgers, especially at home. But I'm with you, Matt. I think Rutgers covers the spread. I think Rutgers also looks a lot better. Like we said last week, I think they're going to be a bowl team. And bowl teams don't lose by 20 points against not even a top 15 team. So I'm taking Michigan Rutgers to cover. Then on to our next game. This is Lando's favorite game of the week. We got West Virginia at number four, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a 16 and a half home favorite. Lando, who you got? Oklahoma is going to play three quarters of great football. And blow a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter to lose by three. West Virginia. I don't think I've ever heard Lando not pick Oklahoma. I was going to uh, say, I think that's the first time I've heard Lando not pick Oklahoma. Yeah, and and look, I, I said this earlier. West Virginia, I think, is a good team. But they're a different team at home than they are on the road. If there was ever a week that Oklahoma is going to have a coming out party against somebody, I think it's this week. Uh, you, you, you had, you're at home. It's a prime time, seven thirty game. It's not a noon kickoff or an 11 a.m. kickoff in, in Oklahoma. Uh, I, I think that West Virginia is going to keep it really close. It's going to be like a touchdown game for a majority of the game, but I think Oklahoma winds up winning this game by about 10. I just, I, I don't think that West Virginia is there yet. I think they're heading in the right direction. I really like their coach. I think he's a he's done a good job with what they've got. But Oklahoma is is just too talented, and I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a good enough game to win this game for Oklahoma by 10. Oklahoma coming out party blowout? No. Oklahoma winning the football game and being 4-0 for the next week? Yes. I think Oklahoma is going to keep doing that this year. West Virginia, I think they looked a lot better last week than they really are. I think Matt's right when he says they're a team trending in the right direction. They're just not there yet. Give them a couple more years, they might be a team that can compete for the Big 12, um, especially with Oklahoma and Texas moving out of it. Uh, So I'm going to say West Virginia covers that spread. I'm with Matt. I think they keep it around 10 to like that 7 or 3 point range. 
Um, but I think Oklahoma's going to win the game. I think they've kind of proven that they're at least a good enough team to squeak by against teams like West Virginia. And like I said, I think that's going to continue. Uh, we're going to move on to our next game. This is our Pac-12 game of the week. We have number 24 at UCLA, who is a five-and-a-half-point favorite, taking on Stanford after their huge win over Vanderbilt. Lando, who you got? Yeah, UCLA took it on the chin over the weekend. I think they're going to learn from that loss and come back and play a pretty solid game. I got UCLA by, let's say, a touchdown. Matt. Yeah, I'm with you. That was a that I I think that we all slept on how good Fresno State was, uh, and we just chalked it up to Oregon had a bad game in Week One. I think Fresno State's actually a pretty good team, and I, I think the UCLA is a good team, not a great team. But Stanford, to me, is not a good team. Um, they are probably middle of the road, Pac-12. I think UCLA wins this game and wins it pretty handily. Wit. See, I kind of feel that way too, man. I think UCLA is a better team than Stanford. But I also just, I don't know how I feel about them. Now, so Stanford... The only game I've really watched them super closely was their first game against Kansas State, and they did not look good in that game. They had Jack West starting at quarterback. I think he threw three or four interceptions in like the first half. They subbed him out, put in Tanner McKee, and the team has been, especially the offense, has been completely different ever since. They beat USC in that late night game that nobody watched. Um, and USC was a top 25 team at that point. They beat Vanderbilt last week, which like, yeah, whatever, it's Vanderbilt. But they did look good doing that. It was close kind of in the first half, and they blew him out in that second half. Tanner McKee looked good in that game, too. I've kind of been itching to pick Stanford. I think if UCLA didn't lose last week, they would lose this week. But since they did lose last week, I'm going to take UCLA. I think they cover, too. I think they make it at least a touchdown game. Uh, So I'm going UCLA over Stanford. And then moving on to our one of two SEC games of the week. This one is Tennessee at number 11, Florida. Florida looked really good against Alabama last week. So now they are a 20-point favorite at home against the Vols. Lando, who you got? I think Florida playing really well against Alabama last week is going is to get to their head a little bit. Not enough to where they lose the game. Tennessee, I believe, is going to keep it close. I'm going to go with Florida by 10 points. It's it's interesting, and I've seen this take online a few times, and and I, and I get it. Alabama's mad because we lost, we won by two. Florida celebrating because they lost by two at home to Alabama. It just kind of shows you the state of the programs and where they've been in the past five years. Uh, look, Tennessee has not been very good recently. Florida, I think Florida is not getting enough credit. In, in some in, in some regards for what they did this weekend out with Alabama. Um, I don't even know that I, I gave them enough credit even on the show today. I think Florida's got a good enough offense that they're going to be in every game uh, and and may and they're gonna win a lot. I think Tennessee is the interesting team here for me because they haven't really played anybody. They lost at home to Pitt they they handled Bowling Green, they handled Tennessee Tech. This is going to be an interesting test for me for Florida though on defense because Tennessee likes to play that upbeat, fast-paced offense. I think Tennessee is going to keep it close because Florida is going to come in with a little bit of a big head cuz they just played Alabama to two points, but it's in the swamp. Give me Florida, give me Florida to cover, but early they struggle. Yeah, see, I'm going to take Tennessee to cover the spread. I got Florida winning the game. 
But I think Tennessee is going to keep it to at least a 10-point game because Dan Mullen likes to do this thing, especially after playing really well, even if he loses the game. He likes to do this thing where he kind of plays down to the competition he's playing at. I don't know what it is, but I feel like every time they come against a team like Tennessee, especially a rival who hasn't really looked that good, they don't have a lot of hype behind them, they kind of just roll the helmets out there and he kind of just goes like, oh, we just almost beat Alabama. So we should beat the crap out of Tennessee. Tennessee's not a good football team. So I think Tennessee's going to come out and play a lot better than people think. Um, I think they've been better this year than people want to give them credit for. I know they lost the pit game and the other two teams they played haven't been great. But to me, the system and the culture of the team just feels more like it's trending in the right direction than what it was when they were with Jeremy Pruitt. So, like I said, I'm going Tennessee to cover. I think it's a 10-point game, not a 20-point game, but I do think Florida still wins the game. And on to our next game of the week. We have number 12, Notre Dame, taking on number 18, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a a 5.5-point favorite, and they're playing in Soldier Field in Chicago. It's where the Bears play. So, Lando, who you got? Wisconsin, Notre Dame's overrated. Matt? I want to pick Wisconsin so bad, but Notre Dame has this thing about them. They're gonna they they, they feel like a Chicago type of team. So does Wisconsin. Um, but but and I think it's really cool they're playing this game at Soldier Field. I don't think with that Grant Mertz is is good enough to win this game. Uh, Notre Dame is physical on defense. I think Wisconsin's going to keep it close. I think this is going to be uh, this could be one of those games that goes either way, three points one way or the other. But I think Notre Dame is going to come out on top here. As much as I want to pick Wisconsin, Notre Dame just has a feel of a team that they're not going to lose a lot of games, but they're going to be in a clo- uh, close in all of them. Uh, so I'm going to go Notre Dame here by three. Yeah, um, so I think Wisconsin is not really that good this year. I think 18 is about right for them. I don't want to say they're overrated. I think I think they're about where they need to be right now. But I think Notre Dame has looked real soft to me. Their defense is okay. Kyle Hamilton is might be the best defensive player in the country. He's an absolute beast uh, playing at safety. He's probably going to be a top five pick in the draft this year. But to me, the offensive line is the worst I've seen it in a long time. The front seven for Notre Dame to me just doesn't look as good on defense as it usually as it has been. I think Wisconsin, if they push the run game like they should, and they don't try and do too much with Graham Mertz, I think this they win this game pretty handily. I think their defense is going to suffocate Jack Cohn a little bit. I think Notre Dame is going to struggle to get the run game going as well. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I would take the under in this game, but I'm going to pick Wisconsin to win by at least seven. I think it's at least going to be a touchdown game. I like that five-and-a-half-point spread um, going Wisconsin here. And for our next game, we have our game of the week. We have number seven, Texas A&M, as a a five-and-a-half-point favorite, taking on number 16, Arkansas, in Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. Lando, who are you picking? This will be a good game. I think Arkansas is going to pull away at the end, though. I'm going to go Arkansas by two touchdowns. Matt. So this is an interesting game to be on CBS because normally this is like an ESPN noon game or 4 o'clock game. Uh, you, uh, so for it to be at 3.30 CBS game, I think it's going to be a really good game because A&M's defense, to me, is going to be what keeps them in a lot of games this year. It's not their offense, uh, but their defense is pretty good. Sam Pittman, though, is one heck of a coach, 
And I don't know that I don't know that Texas A&M is going to be able to play on offense good enough against Arkansas's defense too. Because Arkansas's defense, I feel like it's getting kind of slept on in this whole thing. I'm definitely picking Arkansas to cover. I think it's a five and a half point spread. Uh, I'm I'm definitely taking Arkansas there to cover, and I'm going to take Arkansas to win the game. I I don't think that A&M has enough firepower on offense to overcome uh, that that Arkansas defense, and I think Sam Pittman is is going to keep this train moving, and the momentum behind Woo Pig is going to keep on picking up. Uh, I, I like Arkansas here with. Oh, I want to pick Arkansas too, so bad in this game, and and I, and betting wise, I will because five and a half point spread, getting five and a half points for Arkansas the way they've looked, I don't think you can't pick that. Just especially with how close this game is on a normal basis, even when Arkansas isn't good, um, I definitely think it's a close game. I'm gonna pick Texas A&M though. I think this is a very trendy upset pick for a lot of people, and to me, that says roll with the favorite. Because I feel like a lot of times when you got that trendy pick, uh, they're rolling coming into this game. You got the favorite hasn't really looked that good, but the favorite's favored. They have five and a half point four. They're giving away five and a half points for a reason. A and M people don't think they're a top fourteen. People think they're overrated. I think they're a lot better than people really think they are, and I think it's because of what Matt says. Because of the defense, they have a lot of talent on the defense. They might be the most talented defense in the country. Um, aside from Alabama and Georgia. And I think, I, don't, I know a lot of people probably didn't watch this game because they were playing New Mexico. When Zach Calzada took over that offense, he looked a lot better uh, than Haynes King to me last week. He got a, he got a, Once he got a week to prepare. And yeah, it was New Mexico. And no, New Mexico is not a good football team. But just they just looked like they flowed a lot better. I don't think they're going to come out and look like a team that's going to knock off Alabama in a couple weeks, but I do think they're going to come out and look like a top seven, top 10 team, which they haven't looked like all year. So I'm going to take Texas A&M to win, Arkansas to cover, um, but I think this is for sure going to be the best game of the week. This might be one of the best games of the whole year. Yeah, you're right, though. I I hesitate in picking Arkansas solely because it's been such a trendy pick, but I, to me... A&M, and I did watch a little bit of the A&M New Mexico State game. I didn't love the way that A&M looked against New Mexico State. New Mexico State's not good at football. They are so bad. I think their last, the only wins that they've had the past two years have come against like really, really, really low-level FCS or really, really low FBS schools. Like they beat Dixie State and uh, they beat South Carolina State like the week before A&M. It was it, some like that. It was it was. I I don't I didn't love it. I mean, they shut them out, which I mean, their defense looked great. And no, like like I, you know, we both just said New Mexico State or New Mexico is not good at football. But to me, I don't know what it was. Just the, I know they didn't score a lot of points. They won thirty four to zero, but the offense just looked so much better to me. Hank King just did not look comfortable in the pocket. I didn't like the way he threw the ball. I feel like he has too long of a throwing motion, which is really gonna hold him back especially like when they play teams like Alabama Calzada's got kind of a quicker throwing motion he looked like he had more command of the offense he didn't throw the ball a lot in that game so I think that could be part of the reason why they weren't scoring a lot they were kind of just they just got up by five touchdowns and just ran the clock out the rest of the game 
but we'll see, man. I, like, I'm very excited to see both these teams play a real top 15 team because neither one of them have really gotten a true test. I know Texas is a big game, um, but obviously I don't really know if we if Texas is as good as people thought they were going to be this year. So I know these two teams are top 15 teams, so it'll be fun to watch. Texas is a big game because of the name brand that they bring, and, and they're bringing fans. And for Arkansas, Texas is a big win. I mean, like when you just put it out there as that, that, that we said this last week on the podcast, Texas is the biggest game that Arkansas has had since the Darren McFadden days. Like that game was so hyped up for that reason. So I, I'm excited to see what Arkansas really is. And I'm excited to see what A&M really is. And I feel like this could be a really low scoring game. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Before you guys log off today, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on our Instagram, at Around the Keg, and our Twitter, at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show. We'll be happy to include as much as we can. Our Artist of the Week is Seven Year Witch. Give them a follow on social media and check out their songs on Spotify and Apple Music. Here's their song, Rags to Riches, to play us out. Have a great week. Well, you got me on the down low, swinging up. I only want your affection, so give me some. Keep it going till the break of dawn. You want to see a dog ride on, give him a bone. Well, it's a hustle, so why not give it a chance to make an old man toss a man a graveyard death? And it's a cold road. I'm trying to sell my soul to make a penny and a dollar just to take me home. Just the...